John 9, 1 through 41. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was, it was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray this morning. As Al led us earlier and Miguel led us earlier, we depend on your grace to be able to see you, to be able to see your beauty, your glory, your majesty. We depend upon you, Father, to be able to show us your Son. So, Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that as we go into this text, Lord, that we would be able to behold the glory of your Son. That you would help us, Lord. That you would pour out by your Spirit clarity, anointing, and power. This morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now this morning, we find ourselves in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John. But before we really get into this wonderful narrative of Jesus' miraculous healing of a man who was born blind, I want us to set the stage for what is about to happen. And in order to do that, we must do two things. We must first be reminded of the purpose of the gospel. And secondly, we must place this miracle into its proper context. Let's start with the purpose of the gospel. You see, we would do no justice to this text if we don't first remind ourselves of the purpose for which John the Evangelist writes this gospel. But he himself gives us the purpose in John chapter 20, verse 30. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the purpose is engraved throughout the 21 chapters that make up this gospel. In fact, we are immediately confronted with the reality that governs this gospel in the very first verse of the very first chapter. You see, John tells us in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And 13 verses later, John tells us that this Word that was in the beginning, that was with God, and that is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, 
from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, John, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is writing this gospel in order that we today would be able to see the glory of Christ. He wants us to see the glory of one in the beginning who was with God and who was God. And my friends, do you know why this is important? See, this is important because John tells us in verse 18 of chapter 1, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. My friends, have you seen Him? Do you know Him? Are you worshiping Him You see, maybe this morning, these questions cause you to shout in your heart, Yes! 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 I see Him. I know Him. I worship Him. But maybe, just maybe, you are sitting here, and you are saying in your heart, I'm not sure. Or even maybe you are saying, I think I see Him. I think I know Him. But I don't worship Him. My friends, I don't know where each of you personally stands in regards to these questions. But I do believe that God's desire for us this morning is that through John chapter 9, we would be able to truly see Him, know Him, worship Him. Now, as I previously stated, before we get into the actual miracle... Let's see if we can place it into its proper context. As we have seen, John's purpose is that we would be able to see the glory of Christ. And in order to do this, he has been very, very carefully setting the first half of his gospel around seven selected signs, seven miracles. And this morning in John 9, we find ourselves in the sixth sign, the healing of the man born blind. These signs are very important to the purpose of the gospel. You see, they are important because each one of these signs, in one way or another, give testimony and serve as evidence to Jesus' claims to being God. John is carefully putting down the signs in the gospel, then he puts down the dialogue, and then he puts down Jesus' discourse, and then he follows those signs with the claims that Jesus makes of his deity. So in chapter 6, just to give you an example, okay, a quick example. In chapter 6, we see him feed 5,000 plus women and children, and he feeds them all with five loaves of bread and two fish. Wow, what a sign. And then he gets up and he says, I am the bread of life. You see, that's how the signs work. He does this wonderful miracle of feeding the, the, the 5,000, and then he gets up and says, I am the bread of life. So with that in mind, we must ask ourselves, what is Jesus demonstrating by healing this man that was born blind? What claims is he backing up? What truth is this sign serving evidence of and illustrating? Well, let's go to our text, and let's go to the first seven verses where Jesus himself reveals to his disciples and to us what he's about to do and why. The first point in your notes is he 
gives sight. Jesus gives sight. John 9, 1 says, as he, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answers, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said this, he spat on the ground, he made a mud with his saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. I think the first question we need to ask as we start this narrative is, where was Jesus passing by? Why does John start this narrative by letting us know as Jesus passed by? I think we find the answer to that in chapter 8. And in chapter 8, 59, we actually read that the Jews were picking up stones to throw at Jesus. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. We learn in chapter 8 that Jesus is in the temple. He has been going toe-to-toe in confrontation with the Jews in the temple. He is making all these astonishing claims. And at the end of the chapter, he tells them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And at the sound of this, the Jews in the temple were picking up stones, and they were ready to stone him. And Jesus hides himself, and he goes out of the temple. And as he's coming out of the temple, he passes by, and he sees a man that is blind from birth. And the disciples, then holding on to rabbinic teaching and belief, ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answers. Check this out, guys. Listen. It was not that this man sinned or his parents. It was, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. He gives sight, and that sight comes through divine initiative. Oh, church, this is so beautiful here. It is obvious that this blind man could not have seen Jesus. He would have never known that Jesus was even walking by him. As we will see later in the story, he had no idea whatsoever who Jesus was and would have probably been completely ignorant to the disciples' conversation, for he was probably not even the only blind man there, because many beggars would come to the temple. Sovereign grace dominates this whole miracle. You see, this man is not running to Jesus saying, heal me, heal me. No, he couldn't see Jesus. Jesus saw him, and that's the way sovereign grace is. It is not us seeking Christ. It's Christ seeking us. In John 15, 16, Jesus said to his disciples, You have not chosen me. I have chosen you and ordained you. In Matthew 18, 12, the Bible says, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. 
all throughout history, the light of the world, Jesus Christ is the seeking Savior. He is always seeking the lost. And the lost is lost because they can't see. And it's divine initiative that brings sight. So who receives this sight? Who are the lost? Who are the blind? Now, I wanted to share a little bit about something that I like, something that I love. And I love roller coasters. How many of you guys like roller coasters? Right? But you know what? There's something that I hate and I'm like really scared of. And that is heights. I mean, I'm short. That's why God made me short, you know? Because he couldn't have made me, you know, six something or seven because I would have been walking scared. That's why I walk with so much confidence, you know? But... I can't stand heights, but I love roller coasters. And for years, I rode roller coasters, and I would close my eyes. Yeah, I just, okay, I'm going to ride it. Man, my heart was bumping, okay, but I'm going to close my eyes. And I would run, come out of there. I'm like, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. So finally... Uh, I realized that there were many ladies and children who were riding with their eyes open. <laughs> and I actually felt like, man, you know, I mean, if they can do it, I, I, I can do it. So, finally, I was able to ride a roller coaster. And I said, I'm going to open my eyes. I'm going to keep my eyes open. And I'm going to go for the ride. You see, we will never truly see the awesomeness and know the adrenaline-filled joy of the coaster with your eyes shut. American statistics tell us that 2% of Americans are blind from birth. This means that there are 2% of our population in this country that walks around in pure physical blindness from the moment they are born. Men and women who have never been able to see God's visible revelation. They're not able to see trees. They're not able to see the earth, the sky, the sun. But brothers and sisters, Scripture tells us that 100% of our population is born spiritually blind. You see, we come into this world... Like a roller coaster in darkness with our eyes shut, unable to see God's invisible revelation. And John makes it a point to remind us that this blind beggar was born this way. His blindness was a birth defect. My friends, such is the case with the sin of the human race. We are born in sin. Into sin, spiritually blinded by sin. Like this man, we are also born blind. We have no capacity whatsoever to behold the glory of Christ. He had to reveal it to us by his own touch. What a work of grace. 
lost man, blind, sees no God, sees no sin, sees no Christ, sees no truth, sees no love. And Jesus, the light of the world, comes along and looks at the blind man. And by his sovereign mercy, offers the grace of spiritual sight. Guys, can, can you imagine this blind man waking up this Sabbath morning, picking up his walking stick on one hand and his begging mug on the other, taking this long, slow walk from his house to the temple with no expectations whatsoever, seeking nothing but some change in order to feed himself. The story doesn't tell us how old he is, but we learn from his parents in verse 21 that he's an adult. And for years, this guy's been blind because he was born blind. So probably it's a possibility that for years he has been begging at the temple every Sabbath morning. To this man, this was just any other Sabbath. But to Jesus. To Jesus. This was the day sovereignly foreknown and eternity passed by, the who, by He who is the Word that was in the beginning and that was with God and that is God and who now stood right in front of this ignorant blind man ready to display the works of God. My friend, maybe you can relate to this man this morning. Maybe you woke up this Sunday morning, just like every Sunday morning. You grabbed your mug of coffee on one hand, you grabbed your newspaper on the other, and then you decided, well, I guess I'll go to church today. Seeking nothing but talking to some friends, having a nice time. I don't know, fill in the blank. Maybe you sit here this morning uninterested, thinking about lunch or who you're going to talk to after the service. Or maybe all you have eyes for this morning is your life and your troubles and its afflictions. My friends, I pray the truth revealed by this miracle will point you this morning to the giver of sight. Jesus gives spiritual sight to the spiritually blind. The same Jesus who passed by this man years ago and gave him sight is here today in this auditorium. And this morning through his word and through his spirit, he can call out to us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It is this very claim in John 8, 12 that Jesus is illustrating through this sign. The very claim we hear echoing since the beginning of the gospel. John 1, 4, 5 tells us, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, 9 tells us, The true light which enlightens was coming into the world. And in our text this morning, in verse 5, Jesus reminds us of that. 
And he reminds his disciples as he tells them, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said this, he goes, he, 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 having said this, he goes and he heals this man. And we see that he who created man from the earth cures him with the earth as he spits on the ground. And he makes mud and he picks it up and he anoints this man's eyes. And then he tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. I mean, just imagine this. A blind man with mud in his eyes, walking around Jerusalem. I mean, just imagine that sight. But the man obeys. He washes his eyes and he receives his sight. Now you may be saying, I know what physical sight looks like, Jose. I do too. You know, not very good when I take off my glasses, but I do. But what is spiritual sight? And we will learn what is spiritual sight is as we go on through uh, these 41 verses. But we learn that Jesus not only gives this gentleman sight, but he gives him knowledge. He gives knowledge. Let's read verses 8 through 12. He says, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam. And wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Can you imagine the joy of this guy who receives his sight? This man is running back home, running through his neighborhood, looking at his neighbors. Hey, man, look. You know, and his neighbors are just arguing with one another. Is that? Is that one? No, no way, man. No, I can't be him, bro. That guy's running. This guy can't even walk. I mean, he's blind. But so they're, they're arguing. And you just imagine the joy of this man as he stands before them and he says, I am he. And naturally in verse 10, they ask the obvious question, then how were your eyes open? And he doesn't even get into this big theological explanation about God or anything like that. He just simply says on verse 11, a man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, said to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I obeyed, and here I am. But the fact is, guys, that he still doesn't really know who Jesus is. He doesn't really know what's going on. All he knows is that this man called Jesus has given him his sight. And of course, his neighbors, they marvel at at this story, and they ask him, well, where is he? We want to see him. And he responds, I do not know. But you know what? It wouldn't be long until he would know. 
You see, Jesus had done a great miracle in the opening of this man's physical eyes. But the true light of the world is not capable just to open physical eyes. The true light of the world, Jesus, was just beginning an even greater miracle. The miracle for which he came into the world. The miracle that turns a man from darkness of spiritual blindness to the light of spiritual truth. You see, to receive spiritual sight is to receive the knowledge of who Christ is. Paul reminds this to the Corinthian church when he says to them in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And in verse 6 he says, let light shine out of darkness. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He gives sight and he gives knowledge. What knowledge? The knowledge of the glory of Christ. The only people in the world, church, who see truthfully, are those who know and love Jesus Christ. That's right. And as we follow this man through our narrative, we will become witnesses of a gradual unveiling of the eyes of this man's understanding. So let's go back to our story. And in verse 13, this is what happens. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to kind of give you a narrative of, of what's going on. This is what happens. The neighbors are still amazed by the miracle. And they have many questions are rising up. Okay? So they grab the man, take him to the Pharisees. Most likely, these neighbors are searching for the answers. And according to them, what better place to go than to the Pharisees, who are the religious, intellectual elite of their time? So for sure the Pharisees would know who Jesus is. And for sure they would know how he's able to do such wonderful signs, right? Well, immediately the Pharisees take the matter very seriously. You see, Jesus in his infinite wisdom had worked this miracle on the Sabbath day. And even though the man's account of what happened is so persuasive that even some of them are saying, what kind of a man can do this? Most of them are more aware of their apparent breach of the Sabbath tradition by Jesus. And they damn him. And in their false standards, they have concluded that Jesus is not from God. So they turn back to this man. And they look at him. And they say to him, what do you say about this fellow? What do you say about him? And the man responds, he is a prophet. Now the Pharisees, angered at this response, they're determined to disapprove the validity of this miracle. And they call his parents and they say, is this your son? Is this actually your son who supposedly you say was born blind? And the parents feared with just trembling 
because they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. They didn't want to be excommunicated, which meant they were going to be taken out of the life of Israel. They look at the Pharisees and they say, hey, hold on. That is our son. And yeah, I mean, he was born blind. But you know what, man? How he got his sight, I don't know. Who gave it to him? We have no clue. You know what? Ask him. He knows. So then the Pharisees come back and they call back the the man to a second hearing. And right as he comes in, the Pharisees command him. The first thing they say to him, they bring him back in. And the first thing they say to him is, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Church, what a perfect example of spiritual blindness. The man had just told them exactly what happened. And the proof was literally staring them in the face. It's the nature of spiritual blindness and unbelief that it always wants more proof. It always wants more evidence, but it never has enough. No amount of evidence can help these men recognize the truthfulness of God. They are so blind that they are not even able to recognize the fulfillment of all the messianic promises that pointed to the coming of the Messiah who would open the eyes of the blind. Yet the proof was standing right in front of them. But at this point, we see here in our text this morning. This is wonderful. This is awesome. We see here in our text this morning one of the most courageous filled responses in all of Scripture. You see? How many of you guys know the movie Braveheart? Yeah, right? Awesome movie, right? Well, William Wallace ain't got nothing on this beggar. William Wallace ain't got nothing on this beggar. Because this beggar, surrounded by all the Pharisees who are able to excommunicate him from the life of Israel, completely kicked out, completely rejected by all, he stands before them with courage and he says to them, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. This man, who just some hours ago didn't know who Jesus was, who was blind all his life, unschooled, a beggar, ready to pay the price to stand before the religious intellectual authorities of his day and stick up for Christ. Oh church, we need to take heed of this example. There is something powerful when like this man, we hold dearly the reality of what Jesus has done for us we may not be able to articulate this reality to the satisfaction of others. We may not even be able to win any theological debates. But one thing we can always do is stand up for Christ before the darkness of this world. And with a loud voice, we can say, one thing I do know, That though I was blind, now I see. 
We can say that though I was in bondage to sin, I am now free to life. We can say that though I was dead in my trespasses, I am now alive in Christ. That though I was fatherless and poor, I am now seated with my father in Christ as heir of all his riches and glory. That though my heart was broken and empty, it is now filled with the Holy Spirit of an almighty God. This man gives us an excellent model of the way of salvation. The turning from darkness to the light of the world. We are able to see God working in his heart. And we are able to notice the growth in the knowledge of Christ. We go from the man called Jesus in verse 11. He moves on to he's a prophet in verse 17. Then he goes to he opened my eyes in verse 30. In verse 27 he describes himself as a disciple of Jesus. And in verse 33, before the Pharisees, he acknowledges that Jesus is from God. The Pharisees, on the other hand, show us how all men are outside of Christ. We are all spiritually blind, in darkness and sin, without hope of salvation. In their darkness, they... they they just start calling this guy names and they start cursing him. And then they pick, up, pick him up and they throw him out of the building. They excommunicate him, which means they put him out of the life of Israel. They eliminated him. They would not tolerate his testimony for Christ, so they threw him out. But my friends... Our Lord will always complete what He begins. <laughs> and He receives worship. In John 9.35 we read, Jesus heard that they had cast Him out. And having found Him, He said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? This man answered, And who is He, Sir? that I may believe in Him. Jesus said to him, You have seen Him, and it is He who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped Him. When Jesus sees this man worshipping at His feet, and He compares the humble heart of that beggar with the hostility and the stubbornness and the hatred of the Pharisees, he reminds them all because they were there, they were standing. And he says to them, For judgment I came into this world, and those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Church, what a contrast. The amazing spiritual sight shown by the man who was born blind and the darkness of spiritual blindness in the heart of the Pharisees. My friends, the Pharisees are not an extinct breed. 
So we might look at this and we might say, oh, well, the Pharisees, yeah, man, they were terrible. They were bad, man. Bad news. But they are not extinct. You see, whenever we find ourselves valuing the letter of God's law above its spirit, hmm, whenever we find ourselves unable to rejoice in the saving and renewing of lives simply because the instrument used was not someone whose dots the I's and crosses all the T's of our theological group. Hmm. Whenever we treat one another with no grace and love and forgiveness, hmm. whenever we walk around with condemnation as our hat and ignore the forgiveness of our Savior, wow. Whenever we lose the daily, hourly sense of joy in the grace of God by which alone we see Him, we know Him, and we are able to worship Him, then my friends, we are also Pharisees. We are also blinded by our sin, unable to see some of the spiritual realities that God wants us to see. But my friends, there is good news. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Have you received that sight? Have you received that knowledge? Because if you have, you would be bent on your knees at the feet of Christ, worshiping Him. You cannot truly see the Son and know the Son and not worship Him. It is impossible. And you cannot truly worship God unless you see the Son and you know the Son. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for the miracle. I pray for the miracle of spiritual sight. Father, I pray that as we have heard your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that even right now, Lord, you are opening the eyes of our hearts to the knowledge of your Son, Jesus. Father, we pray that even right now, Lord, the scales of our eyes and our souls are just dropping to the floor and we are able to behold the beauty and splendor and majesty of your Son. Father, let none here this morning come under the hearing of your word and leave out of here blind. May no one leave blind this morning, Father. May they receive the sight 
of the light of the world. 